Hi there and welcome. This podcast chronicles my travels around the state of Ohio in the year leading up to the 2020 presidential election, interviewing my fellow Buckeye voters, hearing their stories, their hopes and their fears, their worries and concerns, and learning how those things influence how they're thinking politically as we head into another presidential election. My name is Pete Brown, and this is Ohio 2020. Hi again, everyone. This is Pete, releasing another of the interviews we managed to shoot for This Is Ohio before the pandemic shut us down. You know, when I started this project, one of my goals was to get the opportunity to visit with people who think very differently than I do politically so that I could work on understanding where they're coming from. And I feel like today's talk with Marianne Christie really delivered on that for me. Marianne has a lifetime of political experience in Ohio to draw from. And I learned so much from our visit. This is a a very long episode. It's one of our longer ones. And it was, you know, only very lightly edited because it it felt to me like it was almost a bit of a masterclass on how politics work in Ohio. Marianne Christie was the very first woman elected to the Madeira City Council that's down near Cincinnati. And then she served as mayor. I can't even enumerate all of the leadership positions on different statewide boards and committees that she's held. She's been an elector for several presidents. She has served as vice chair of the Ohio Republican Party. And I will also say that supporting women in leadership roles is something that's very, very important to her. And I'd say she was a bit of a pioneer for women in politics in Ohio. I should note, too, that Marianne is a fellow podcaster. Her podcast is called High Heels and Politics, and it's about politics here in Ohio. That's actually how I stumbled upon her originally, to be honest. And I really enjoy listening to her podcast. It's a, it's a good listen. And then finally, before we get to it, I just want to tell you, I initially interviewed Marianne. It was the late fall of 2019. It was before the Democrats had chosen Joe Biden. It was before the pandemic. It was before all of 2020 happened. So I wanted to reach out and just touch base with her. And I did that by phone last week. And I've included excerpts from that conversation that we had at the end of this interview. Let's get right to it. My name is Mary Ann Christie, and you cannot believe it. I can't believe it, but I'm 85 years old. I just had my birthday here a few months ago. I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm retired, but I didn't retire from work until I was 80 years old. I was at that point in time doing the board review for the Hamilton County Auditor's Office, determining whether or not the appraisal of houses was correct, because most people came in and said, hey, I want to reduce uh, my houses Mm -hmm. over uh, appraise for its value. So anyhow, today I'm still very active in political work, but on top of it, What I really do a lot is I'm interested in getting women to take stronger positions in the political arena. The political arena is really a power place and women need to, you know, go run for offices. 
There, we have plenty of people at the grassroots level here in Cincinnati. They're on school boards, they're on city councils, township trustees. But when you look at how many women are uh, legis state legislators, state senators, how many women from this area have ever been a governor, lieutenant governor, even a state office holder. So anyhow, that is what I have done. I recently brought together a group about five years ago called She Leads, and this was to give women direction on bringing to them how to dress, how to speak, and giving them the uh, ability of where to find money because money is the base of all running for political office. So that's where what I am presently doing, though I'm retired. And this year is the year of the women's suffrage centennial. 100 years ago today, women got the right to vote. And that means that many of us, our grandmothers, for the first time, were able to vote. So we're attempting, we got the Secretary of State, he went and organized a com commission. So we are today trying to bring all this information to the public. They need to understand how important it is to run for public office. So that's where I'm coming from. So I was born and raised in West Rutland, Vermont, which is a little village, about 3,000 people, just outside of the second largest city of Rutland, Vermont. Vermont was always known for its marble industry. It was one, at one point around 1900 the largest producer of marble in the world. So my grandparents immigrated here in 1900 from Poland and also the country of Belarus. The marble industry had sent people to those European countries because they needed workers. And so they came and that's my mother and father were from both of these countries, and they married. And the big thing was my grandparents were very strongly attached not only to the church and the family, but also to the community. Actually today, because of the land my grandfather once owned is today, the recreational center, mm -hmm. and many people, instead of calling it by its name, they call it the Sabatka Recreational Field. But my parents were very active and building, uh, starting business from a taxi business, trucking business. They actually were very instrumental after the Second World War and building uh, or renovating homes, not building. They were renovating a lot of these old Vermont houses. So, and then on top of it, I had, and my mother's sister was married to one of the wealthiest people in the state of Vermont. Yeah. 
And this gave us a lot of opportunities to do things. And one of them was, so my aunt, Stevia Chaffee, was a, a renowned female skier. Mm -hmm. And actually made the United States ski team. But because of Hitler, he stopped the Olympics in the late 30s. So she never got to participate, though her two children eventually were Olympic stars in Grenoble, France. So I've had an interesting life of family that was very close to the church, who loved to start businesses and had many opportunities because of my aunt's marriage. Did you have brothers and sisters? What? Do you have any brothers and sisters? Yes, I had uh, three sisters. My oldest sister was like 18 months older than I, and a three, my other sister was three years younger. And then we had the wonderful thing that every Polish family wants, a son. <laughs> and my brother was born uh, when he, I was eight years old. So I kind of became his uh, second mother, if not his babysitter. Skiing came to Verm uh, Vermont in the 30s. Mm -hmm. it was, yeah, I mean, Andrea Mead was one year older than I was in high school, and she made the Olympics. But she hardly was at school at all because... The family, you know, the school wouldn't give her time, and the family, her parents were top skiers. Yeah. Were you a skier? Yep, I skied, and after the Olympics, Andrea came back with all these international skiers, and we're all skiing at Pico. I mean, I, it, was, it was not a bad life. Yeah. So you graduated high school there? I graduated from Rutland High. Yeah. But I was one of these hyper people. So I didn't go on to college. I went to Schenectady, New York, and worked for General Electric Company there. And it, that's where I met my husband. Okay. And that is how I got to Cincinnati, Ohio. He was an engineer. Actually, he was the general head of test in the steam turbine division of General Electric Company. And of course, coming to Cincinnati was exciting because after the Second World War, the, uh, all the countries were looking for to build their airlines and their military air. And so GE, was one of the major companies in the world. So he traveled all over the world. Now, of course, that all sounds fine. But when you're a young bride and you're living a thousand miles away from all your family and friends yeah. and you're stuck, there isn't any skiing in Cincinnati, <laughs> Ohio. There weren't any freshwater lakes like there were in Vermont. So, and a husband who was gone all the time, and of course you were home with a baby. So when those little tears came and saying, please find another job, find another job. I had a husband who loved his job, and he says, Marianne, you're just going to have to find a, a life. Mm -hmm. And so this began 
my involvement into the community. I had to meet people. Mm -hmm. I had to be, I had to find something to do. And so that's how I slowly became involved in politics. The Kenwood Shopping Center in 1957 was the first major shopping center opened in the United States. And I was living in Kenwood. And of course, what happened then, all these people who had small or had houses across from the shopping center, of course, developers were wanting to buy these houses. Mm -hmm. So we, bec we started what was called the Kenwood Civic Association, and I got very involved in it because we, we did not want to have all these small businesses in every single private residence along Kenwood and Montgomery Road. Mm -hmm. And actually, we went so far as we attempted to incorporate Kenwood into a city. But the county commissioners at that time did not want to have another political entity. We already had 37 cities or villages and 12 townships. Yeah. So Kenwood never became a city, except what happened is the city of Madeira came in and took about half of the southern portion of Kenwood into their community. They couldn't get the portion with the Kenwood Shopping Center because that had already been taken by the Indian Hill Village and was in their school district. It was a very important part. It wasn't a part of the Indian Hill Village. It was just a part, it was now a part of the Indian Hill School District, which meant a lot of money with the Kenwood Shopping Center. Yeah. And at that point in time, the Kenwood Shopping Center was really like a strip mall. Yeah. You had uh, Pogues at one end and McAlpins at the other, and, you know, all these so, small stores. I mean, it, it does not look sure. anything like it is today. So how did you deepen your involvement in the community at, from the Kenwood Civic Association? Well, what happened after the involvement with the Kenwood Civic Association, and now Madeira had uh, taken my portion where I lived in the Kenwood area. I was now living in Madeira. And in 1970, there was a, a legal decision about women having to be in, in, involved in many more political entities. And so most communities went and asked that tried to find one woman to run for on their city councils. And that's what happened. The mayor, because I was very involved in the school district, I was on the Madeira School District uh, working. I had also founded the Kenwood Women's Club and was involved in the Garden Club, all the things that women were able only to do. We were not involved in you know, in politics at all. But I got the call from the mayor, and they needed a woman, and I agreed to run. And then it became history in Madeira because I was the top vote getter. I became the vice mayor, 
and then became the mayor. So it, it's interesting uh, how things work out. It, it, not something I ever thought about doing, but I found I loved politics. And then after that, because I was one of the few women that was involved in politics, that I was asked to, you know, serve on a lot of different boards. But what was interesting was I even got invited to be to the Republican National Conventions. So 1984, you know, women were not involved in national conventions unless their, their daddy had a lot of money. Sure. So anyhow, it was, it was fascinating. So was that your first convention that you were yes. as a delegate? Yes. Yeah. 1984. And sure. I've been to five conventions since. But on top of it, then after I was through with my role as uh, um, Madeira City Council, I got appointed by the governor to be an administrative judge and workers' comp, where I served for five years. And it was very interesting. So what, what do you like about politics? What was it that you liked about it when you got into it? What I enjoyed most is being out there with people. I love being, you know, talking to people. I loved, on top of it, I loved the challenge of, you know, issues, problems. You know, how do you, what do you do? How do you solve these issues that people have? And this is what I found, you know, in a small community, you know, as a mayor, I was also a judge in mayor's court. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you got to see the issues facing people. I mean, it just amazes you that young people will do so many stupid things. <laughs> and, you know, I was one of those. I did, I'd hate to tell you what I would have done, but I, I've done my share. But <laughs> I loved it when... Years later, I had sent this young man to prison, to jail, not prison, because I, I owe him jail. He came to me years later because he had, he had been drinking heavily and got into a fight, the usual. And he thanked me because it made him realize that that was not where he wanted to ever be again is in a jail. Mm -hmm. So you, it's amazing how you have an effect upon people's lives. So I, I just, the, the whole thing was, is finding solutions. And workers' comp was very interesting. I mean, here I had no medical background, and yet people were coming in with all kinds of problems. And then you suddenly realize laws that were passed and then decisions by the Supreme Court all had effects on how you could determine the outcome of a case. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I just found that fascinating. That's why I love politics. And most people don't understand the fact that politics is really power. Mm -hmm. You decide I even talked once to a judge, and I said, you know what, 
Why do you like being a judge? I mean, it, it doesn't pay that well. You, you can make a far more money if you're a partner in a law firm. He says, because I'll decide whether or not what will happen to you in your life. So it's what he's talking about is power. He's going to decide whether or not you're going to go to jail, you're going to go to prison, how much money, or will you be granted a divorce? You know, will your company be, be bankrupt? I mean, you never realize the power in the hands of one person. Fascinating. So let's talk about the roots of what it means for you to be a conservative and if you've always been a conservative or, you know, what was your political journey like in terms of thinking? Well, I think that's interesting because, as I say, I, I was brought up by first-generation immigrants, but my, all my grandparents and aunts and uncles all were there together. And, of course, immigrants generally were Democrats. Mm -hmm. But uh, I told you also about my aunt that was married, and and her husband and his family were all Republican. Mm -hmm. And I saw from their standpoint the ability to have a company that hired people gave them the, a, a chance for a job. And my father worked for that company for several years. And you re realize, you know, this was a wonderful opportunity for them to have a job and health insurance, etc. And people don't realize that health insurance got tied to your job because of the Second World War. Mm -hmm. Instead of wanting to raise people's salary, they instead gave them health insurance. And that's how come today we still find ourselves that your health insurance is tied to your job. You know what? If you're a, a small business owner, it is a tough role to try to get uh, health insurance at a decent price. And these are the kind of questions we want people... I. I you know, find it interesting that people understand that it's really political entities that determine whether companies can have the ability to give you higher wages, etc., give you better benefits with your health insurance. They're the ones making the determination of what you can get have and what you can't. By all these regulations, I mean, we, we've watched regulations with the airline industry. I mean, I loved it when, you know, everything was controlled. Then once, during the Reagan administration, they determined that they were free from all federal regulations. And then we saw at points, you know, uh, airline tickets, exorbitant prices. I can remember traveling to Dayton or Columbus to get a better, to get a better, uh, a much lower price. Yeah. 
But you look at your health insurance today. How much is it controlled? What can the politicians do to reduce the costs? Sure. So would you say it's fair to say that you saw what being an employer can do for people, right? Through Correct. your aunt's husband's family. And so politically, you saw the things we can do to support people who are employers, who build companies, are as, a, as, as the way that they contribute to society. Yes. Yeah. You know, a pro-business Republican. Yeah. Well, and they, they gave me an opportunity to see it and to live it because even my dad was working there. Yeah. But I was the, the second, the middle of three daughters, and this uncle loved this little high-spirited, funny, reckless young girl. And so he was the one who kind of took me under his wings and, you know, took me con we, many uh, Sundays. We made a trip through the company uh, to look at all the lathes and make sure everything was where it was supposed to be according to him and the foundries, etc. So I, I found a love not only for this man who was the vice president of this company, but I got to see and be a part of it. You know, you, I was there every week, kind of, you know, for months on end. Yeah. So, Tell me about some of your roles working for the Republican Party. There's a chair, vice chair. Well, you got to remember that the political party is a little different than a, a candidate or a, a legislator. Uh, a political party's job is to, uh, you know, build, you know, a constituency. Mm -hmm. And you have to determine, you know, that constituency from a, a multitude of different groups. And their job then is to also provide an understanding for these candidates that they choose is how to win an election. You, after every election, you have to review what did it, the Republican Party did or, or had accomplished or what the Democratic uh, Party had accomplished. Who was, who came out a winner and why? You can't have every candidate trying to figure out how to win an election. So this is the uh, job of, of the party to determine how in the world to, to do this and then to raise enough money so that you can uh, buy the things that are necessary, whether in today's world we saw social media. It totally changed everything. Obama's win in what, 208? Mm -hmm. He did something that the Republican Party hadn't done. He went out and he had all his people going to young people and different people and saying, 
are you interested in politics? And they generally would say no. But they said, well, look, why don't you just, you know, sign on to social media and, you know, give us your email and we'll just update you on what we're doing and then maybe you'll change your mind. And you know what? That worked wonders because as it got nearer to the election, they said they would send out to their group They'd say, you know, this is what we're doing and this is what the, the opposition is doing. Send it on to your friends. So if you had 10,000 and every one of those 10,000 people had another 10 emails, so they sent it out to all their friends. And this gave him a tremendous number of people that he had emailed. Plus, then they, at the very end, they decided, oh, send us a contribution, $5 to $10. So since then, if you've noticed, every uh, political, both political parties sure. really use the social media to raise money and really go out. But you know what? They also have to determine the, the voter. What does the voter really want? You can't, once again, you can't have the candidates trying to figure out, you know, is this person, you know, uh, Christian or is they Jewish or, you know, another religion or is this uh, a different uh, group of, are they African Americans, are they Chinese, are they Somalis living here? Columbus has a large number of Somali people and they're voters. So how do you get to those voters? So the, that's the job of the party, of mm-hmm. how to convince a different groups. And, you know, we have the social conservatives, the Christians are, are very strong in the Republican Party. And you have the other groups in the Democratic Party. And if you look at it, you can if you're in one party, you can't go to the other party because they'll have the opposite of what the Republicans and Democrats are always on the, have different oppositions for their groups. You look at the abortion issue. Mm-hmm. You look at increasing wages. You know, you go after one of these after the other, and the Republicans are on one side, the Democrats on the other. Sometimes, if you look back on in the 70s, it was the candidate running, and then after that, it started to change. Parties came back in and determined who the candidates were, and therefore, they now took positions and found their groups. So, In your career, does it seem like we've grown more polarized between those two parties? Oh, yes, yeah. we, uh, totally. I mean, it, it's to the point that it, it, sometimes you ask the question, are you, the candidate, the, not the candidates, the elected officials should be really working for the people. Now, they have an understanding, you know, President Trump 
just was there with the Right to Life group in Washington because that's a major portion of their voters. Mm -hmm. Now you look at this on the living wages and you know, you'll see it's far more the Democrats because they, they just take different positions and they're looking at the middle, the Democrats are looking at the middle class. Yeah. And it, it just, it, it's, if we could just have candidates, you know, working for the American people, all everybody really wants is a decent paying job so they can support themselves or their families. You know, that's all there is in the world. You know, if you have, you've got to support yourself in some way. And the only way is with money is through a job. And then you look and that job is your health insurance. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting, you know, how do you get these candidates and elected officials to take positions that are opposite their party, and they really can't, mm -hmm. because they depend upon the party sure. then to help them right. win an election. Right. And if you, you know what, stop to think of it, that a state legislator gets paid sixty or seventy thousand a year for a part-time job. Sure. Sure. But this is why you don't see pro-choice Republicans or pro-life Democrats. Correct, you won't. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I went for a while, I was with Women's Caucus, and I got, I thought they were going to be made up neutral of, of all women. And you know what, when it came time when we interviewed candidates, the minute you brought up the abortion issue, if the candidate was for against abortion, no one ever got yeah. the not the endorsement from that women's political caucus, yeah. and that's when I decided, you know what, you may not always agree. Reagan was a great one. He says, you know what, if they agree at least eighty percent of the time, you can't always agree a hundred percent. But then on the other hand, you say, all right, you're married in a, in a marriage. You don't always agree, but you don't walk out. Right. You stay there because, you know, that's where you have to give in on certain issues in a family. Yeah. So it is in politics. You say, all right, I'm not a hundred percent, but... I'll buy, I'll buy into that because I agree here. Yeah. So I'm curious, since your, your career's been here in Ohio, in Ohio, you know, we went for Clinton twice, then Bush twice, then Obama twice. So we go back and forth. We had a, Trump won the state by eight points. So what do you think accounts for that going back and forth in Ohio? Well, you know what? If you really watch... Uh, a campaign. They, they're very careful, each party, to take advantage of something so their candidate wins. 
I think of the, the one with Dukakis. If you remember, I forgot who he was running against, but Dukakis didn't win because he shows up in a tank with that hat, yeah. military hat, for probably five seconds. But you know what? The Republican Party took that and kept showing it. It became a 15-minute commercial. Yeah. And, you know, uh, walk, or they also did him with letting free a, a, a yeah, murder. Yeah. And it's interesting as you watch that. Why is it they can, uh, people or the parties, remember, it's the mm -hmm. parties that pick these things. Sure. And then they focus on them, and it's amazing. You know what? You can brainwash anyone. You just keep pushing something again and again and again, and you'll get at least 50% or if not more of the people agreeing with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what is on your mind as we go into 2020? What, what are the issues that concern you? I think the, the biggest issue to me right now is, uh, you know, that people get uh, better wages because, unfortunately, the middle class is slowly depleting. Not because of taxes. You know what the problem is? It's fees. Mm -hmm. There's fees in everything. And if you, you know, there's a fee for gas. There's a fee for if you sell your house. There's a fee if your children are going to school. Oh, we can't afford uh, sports in the school, but we'll charge you a fee. Mm -hmm. And now, so if you look at it, the middle class is just being drained with all these fees that, and the wages have not been going uh, along that way. I'm looking for that the party will really you know, support this and help with the health insurance. Mm -hmm. These are the two, two major things that to me are concerning not just men, but women. Mm -hmm. Because both of them affect their lives. You know what? You know, the, we talk saying, well, you know, we'll reduce the regulations, blah, blah, blah. But if you're not going to do something to change these two things that are having a major effect on people today, talk about jobs, talk about health insurance. Let me just point out, if anybody thinks the government is going to pay for health insurance, you're wrong. The government doesn't have a, a, a job and makes all this money. The government gets the money from you. If the health insurance uh, was, uh, is changed in America, where it's no longer tied to your job, the companies would have to give that money to workers. Mm -hmm. Workers now would be able to pay for their own insurance on the marketplace. All you have to do, I'm on Medicare. Mm -hmm. 
I just went through a serious operation with a knee replacement. I had a bad reaction to medicine, which was almost fatal. I was back in the hospital. I ended up in a nursing home. And you know what? I didn't get charged hardly anything. And you know what? Yes, my, who's paying for it? Out of my social security, every month I pay for my health insurance. So people say, well, the government's paying. Bull crap, the government isn't paying, I'm paying. And so is everyone else, and so is every worker. So, all you have to do is ask any older person how they like their Medicare. Sure. Against uh, President Obama, and he said, well, if someone is sick and they don't have health insurance, they just go to the emergency room and get treated. And to me, that was the same thing, because we're all paying for that. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, no. I, I've always been against the fact that saying people should go to the emergency room. Yeah. There has to be something that we help give people the opportunity to have their own health yeah. insurance. Uh, no. Going to the uh, emergency room, they take you in, somebody gives you something, and you're released and you go home. You don't have uh, a follow-up and say, well, and next week I'll go in and see that same doctor. You don't even know who's going to be your doctor yeah. if you come back a week later or a day later. So, no. I have been, that is the most expensive way to treat any illness, especially, say, or bronchitis. Yeah. You know, you know a, a sprained ankle. I mean, you don't need to be in an emergency room. You need to be able to have the ability either to be able to pay for, your se pay for yourself, but you can't afford these hospital bills. Mm -hmm. I had a small item taken from the corner of my eye, and my sur the surgeon said, oh, you know, no, this is what the cost is. Two years later, I get a bill from the hospital. What do they want for that little half hour thing? I didn't even spend the day there. $5,000. Mm. When I tried to argue with the hospital, they said, no, we're going to give this over to a tra collection agency. Eventually, I called my surgeon. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, no, no, no. That, this was an agreement we, we have with the hospital. You don't owe that. So they contact the hospital. But just stop to think of it. $5,000 for half an hour. No, true. Yeah. Got to have all that big building and all mm -hmm. that equipment. But because, you know, can you imagine what it's like for young people today to have to go into a hospital? Sure. I know my niece just had a baby, and the baby ended up in the ICU it's $3,000 a day, and her insurance isn't paying for it. Spent three days in ICU. That's $9,000, not counting any other expenses that their insurance didn't cover because it was a small company 
So they didn't cover as well as some major companies do. So what are we going to do? We have to do two things, a, a living wage and a health insurance. This is what hurts every American family. So, but these two, so uh, wage growth, health insurance, and women's issues, they're all traditionally Democratic issues. Well, that's not necessarily true because the Republicans are also l looking at the fact of having companies mm -hmm. do uh, raise their wages and giving reducing regulations so that the companies can afford to give better wages without passing legislation that says the minimum wage yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've company Delta Airlines because of their the money they made this year, they're giving their employees two months salary. Isn't that what every American would like is to get two weeks or a month of their salary at the end of the year and saying, because you've done a good job. Well, most of us would just rather have that increase every week so that we can determine how we want to live our lives. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, the issues are the issues, but the Republican response is the one that makes the most sense to you, which is... No, say that again. So the issues are the issues. When I said they're Democratic issues, no, they're not. They're Democrat and Republican issues. There's just two different kinds of responses. They, they really are. You know, in essence, the question is, is how to bring this about because it's the issue that affects men and women. Yeah. Let's talk about President Trump, okay? Because I know, and I, I've been listening to your podcast, I listened to you talking about, he lost Hamilton County, I believe. Oh, yes, he but did. But he won all the ring counties and certainly won Ohio by eight points. So well. What do you like him, first of all, and why? And then let's talk about what you think is going to happen for him in Ohio. I found Trump fascinating. I, you know, I kept watching politicians after politicians win and nothing got changed. I felt that as a businessman, you know what? He had successes, he's had failures. So it was, to me, you know, even his television show, I mean, I, I really was fascinated by this man and what he could accomplish. And he, what he did accomplish, he actually started here in Cincinnati in Swifton Center. He had an apartment complex here. And back, that was, I think, in the 60s. And I guess it was very successful, etc. But he, he has a way of dealing with everything. I, I was just reading about Mar-a-Lago. When the Post family wanted to get rid of it, and they tried to get the United States government to purchase it to have be uh, the winter White House, they found it so expensive. But before they did it, Trump tried to buy that. He was willing to pay $15 million, and then they wouldn't sell it to him. A few years later, he bought it for about $7 million. He, it's fascinating to watch him. I mean, he had all those casinos, and they went down, and yet now he has all these golf clubs. I, I, I thought, you know, 
he would do a lot more. And he's done some things that are interesting. He's played his role as this deal maker. Look at NATO. All those European countries weren't paying their fair share. So he's saying, I'm pulling out. You know, they're now coming back. Now, I, I don't quite know all the innuendos with their trade agreements and things, but it appears that he's getting some of the things that he wants, whether it's from Mexico, you know, or China. The thing with Iran, I, I, you wonder, what is his motivation? You saw the incident where they killed that, you know, general, the Iranian general, and then we all thought we'd be in a war. Suddenly, it's all forgotten on both sides. So I ask myself, you know what? Is there a method to his way of handling things that no one else has ever done. I, I'm not quite sure how to answer it because it's never been done before. Is that the art of dealing? He's changing regulations. You know, I don't always agree with him, and I sure don't agree with his tweets, but that's his way of doing things and about getting his, the message out. He doesn't seem to care, and he gets away with things that no one else would ever have gotten away with. And he's done a, you know, a lot of good things, and there are some of these things that you question, but we don't know the end result yet of what will happen. So that was my ray, the reason that I support him. When Hamilton County, back uh, when he was running in 2016, when he was at the down on the river, I tried to find people to come down there and help me distribute things, and I had trouble finding people. I had to eventually, I went across the river and found some Kentucky people who came and helped me. Yeah. But, you know, are things changing? Will Hamilton County now go? But Hamilton County is really turning Democratic. Mm -hmm. I, so you have to look at Butler, Warren, and Claremont County. Sure. Who knows? Yeah. Well... So I, I live in the suburbs of Columbus, Delaware County, fastest growing county in the nation. And both parties put a lot of time and effort in there. And, you know, I'm a college-educated voter. What is it I'm not seeing about Trump that you see? I mean, I see those things that you say, and I, I feel like I can't trust this, this person. Well, and, and there's where the issue is with Trump. He, he says things that aren't true we, at times, and you know it, and, and he won't back away at all. And I think, and, and you know, this 
he, he says things that bother people, especially educated and women. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't seem to change. And yet, will I think that will there be a change after this impeachment trial? You know, will what will happen in the Senate over the, in the next week or so? We don't know. But then, what will Trump do? You know, he he's he's very shrewd, and how he can change positions. And will we see the next eight months or so? Will he? You know, double up on not saying some of these things, mm -hmm. being more careful and listening to not making statements that are not true. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do is TV reruns uh, the you know that same thing that he said before, sure. and now he's saying the opposite. Yeah. I, I I don't know. Yeah. You, you know, it'll be interesting. To see now, the interesting thing will be is who will the Democrats run against? Yeah. I, I, I don't think that the present ones are going to win. Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. My thinking is, you're going to see Mike Bloomberg. Mm. I think Mike Bloomberg would, you know, be interesting if he ran against him. You know, they're both New Yorkers, both have yeah. uh, made money. I don't know. Yeah. But then will you see Bloomberg pick somebody like Elizabeth Warren to be his running mate? Yeah. I mean, she's a sharp cookie. Yeah. And uh, Will's... You know, Trump, he says he'll stay with Pence, but... Uh, because I'm reading a lot that women can decide this election, right? And that a lot of women are uncomfortable with him because of some of the language he's yeah, using. But you say that, but look at where what he just did with the right to lifers. Mm -hmm. Who was there? A lot of women. Yeah. So, you know, this is the, the, the flip side of politics. You'll have this side agreeing. I mean, whether you're a Chinese or, you know, a Polish immigrant or a woman, half of them will always be on some other side. Yeah. So you say, well, women won't vote for him. Oh, yeah, they will. That whole group, that Christian coalition... They've supported him right along. Yeah. And you look at rural Ohio. Rural Ohio is the Bubba. The Bubba vote. It's going to, it may very well uh, be the vote that will uh, that Trump will win. I call it the Bubba vote. Yeah. The gun carrying. Sure. Well, the strategy in Ohio, they always say, is uh, if you're a Democrat, you have to win big in Cleveland win Columbus and, and try and do well in Cincinnati. And if you're a Republican, you have to have all that rural vote. 
right? Try not to lose too badly in Cleveland and see if you can win Franklin County or Delaware County. Yeah, but you can't count anymore. It used yeah. to be, you know, Hamlin County was uh, balanced out the Cleveland vote. Yeah. Well, now all your seven major cities all are Democrats. Yeah. And so you have the rural area. Will it continue yeah. to support Trump? And if you look at some of the demonstrations with groups, and it uh, looks like he would have that group. He's got the Christian coalition. You know, you take a look at who he already has. He's got about, what, 45% of the electorate supporting him. I mean, that's no small number. Yeah. Remember, the important thing is you're always going to get this one famous chairman of the Republican Party. You're always going to get 40, you'll get 40% of the Republicans and 40% of the Democrats. What you want is that 20%. Mm -hmm. And out of that 20%, you don't really care about the whole 20. All you want is 11. Sure. And that will determine whether or not you'll win. Yeah. And then on top of it, if you look, Trump was smart enough to go after the Electoral College. Yeah. I was a member of that Electoral College. Yeah. You know what? That's who decided that he won. Remember, yeah. Clinton won the popular vote. But mm-hmm. if you have to understand politics, it yeah. comes right down to it. Don't go after votes that don't mean anything. Go after what determines the outcome. Interesting, isn't it, as you think about what happens in an election? I'm going to ask what you're predicting for Ohio, and will we be a swing state, or do you think the Democrats might spend their time elsewhere? No, I think we, uh, the Republican Ohio will stay a, a swing state another round because it can't be determined just because of that one election. Sure, you, you have to have continuous two or three elections to determine which way it'll go. But the Democrats are fascinating and, and feel embold that they can win Ohio. Every single, here in Hamlin County, every single candidate has a Democrat uh, opposition practically. Mm-hmm. Because even though, especially the judges, there's, the judges, as we've said, is a, very, uh, a judge is a very powerful individual yeah. and it's very important. So, I think it's going to be interesting. Will Hamlin County come out as a Democrat county, or will we, you know, we, we're trying, working with the women to bring about them to elect Republicans, not just Trump, sure. but we're talking about all the Republicans. Well, the last question I always ask, and then I give Kevin a chance to ask some questions, but... And first of all, I've really enjoyed talking with you. This has been great. (laughs) 
is what should people outside of Ohio know about Ohio as a state? What should That's a hard question. What's so different? They, they really aren't so different. They, they're just hard-working people who just want a chance to have a decent life to provide for their families and to be able to, you know, have other interests and do things without concerns about, you know, government over, you know, taking away their rights or freedom the property rights. I mean, all this is so important. They're simple things. It's nothing very exclusive or they want great things. But generally people in Ohio, I, you know, I travel the state a lot and I, I've been head of the president of the Ohio Federation of Republican Women so I've dealt with the women all across the state, and now I'm on the Women's Suffrage Centennial Commission, so I once again deal all across the state, and of course, as vice chair of the Ohio Republican Party, so I do a lot of things. And, and n none of them are saying, oh, I wish I were, you know, could buy a Lamborghini, you know, all they say, I wish I could have a, a new Honda. My, my Honda is now 10 years old or 12 years old. That's all they really want. So I think people have to understand that, that that's what they are. But people really across the whole United States, because I have still family living in Vermont and Florida. I have a, a niece in Florida who's a school teacher. Do you realize that 25 years experience, she's making under $50,000 a year teaching. Mm -hmm. That's sad. Yeah. And she has to buy all the little equipment and mm -hmm. little things to put in the classroom. Sure. You know what? Yeah. 25 years, and she's your kindergarten first grade teacher. Yeah. So th most of them are just the same. Yeah. Did you have another follow-up to that question? I don't think so, Kev. How about you? Okay, Kevin. All right, I'm going to stand behind Pete so you're looking at him rather than me. Um, just a general question. Um, you've, uh, you reluctantly came to Cincinnati after leaving <laughs> Vermont. So what's your take on Ohio in general now? How do you feel about it? Well, why I, I find myself, because I could go anywhere and live, you know. I always thought I'd go back to Vermont. But you know what? It's family. All my family and friends are here. Mm -hmm. I, I, I went back here a few years ago to my class reunion in Vermont, and you know what? After we said who married who and who did it, well, there wasn't anything left. I didn't know their children. I didn't know their spouses. Here, I know everybody. Mm -hmm. 
Do you think that's why people like we don't? I mean, because I've I was born in Ohio and I've and I've lived here all my life, uh, and we don't have we don't have any topography really. <laughs> we don't have any big water. We don't have the greatest weather. Why do people stay here in Ohio? Be- I'm telling you, I ask myself that very question. I think, well, why don't you just go and move down to Florida? There are a lot of... I don't want to. You know, the weather's lousy. And on top of it, I really don't mind the cold weather. I kind of like it. I, what I don't like is the hot weather. Mm. And I even thought about saying, well, I'll just go and move to Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it's family. It's friends. That's all that really... It's funny. We're human beings, every one of us. You know, when I was uh, in India at the World Energy Conference, of course, once again, the women sat together. You know what? Those women were talking the same things. They were bitching about their (laughs) mother-in-laws. They were complaining about their husbands working too much. You know, the teenage kids, they're, you know... They don't know what to do with them. All the same problems. Yeah. I think that transcends cultures, too. Yeah. <laughs> I went to Australia once around election time. They were having the same issues that we had in the United States. It boils down. And here, when I was in Dubai, I'm riding in the cab with these people from Pakistan. None of the Saudi Arabians born in Saudi Arabia take any of the menial jobs. They're managers. Mm-hmm. All these other people come in. But they were, you know, they said, you know, they love, they get paid well. They can send money back to their families. And, you know, they didn't seem to mind. Yeah. And as I say, those souks, there wasn't a, one policeman around. And there was a billion, not one billion, probably two billion or more, Gold everywhere. Never saw so much gold in my life. Here's here's my second question. Um, I think the the democratic the Democrats and the Republicans tend to want to demonize each other. Um, but like when you actually sit down over coffee or whatever, it's like everybody's just like they're they're not evil people on whatever side they're on right well that's right and so what is it the what are the big ticket items that polarize us so the big the each party has a caucus whether it's at the state or national level mm-hmm. they take positions and now whether or not you are you agree or not you you better stay with that position yeah or you're not going to get elected because they'll put somebody else up to uh, run against you. They would even vote sometimes a Democrat in because they figure they'll knock that Democrat out in two years. So that's the whole thing. It isn't the individual. When you travel to these countries, they're not against you as an American. They don't like your government. Yeah. And what are we saying when we talk about Democrats or Republicans? Your government. They've all taken positions. We all, I'm sure you both think, I wish they just could just agree. (laughs) You know what? I look at it, 
It's my tax dollars. I get so mad that we can't build a bridge over the Ohio River, yet we can spend billions rebuilding Iraq and you know, Afghanistan. We bomb them the hell out of them, and then we go in and we spend a lot of money. And whose money is it? And I'm totally against uh, foreign aid. Why would you give money to Egypt? Or why you give money to Saudi Arabia? They have so much money already. Take a look at how much money is given in foreign aid. We could build that bridge and take care of the Western Hills Viaduct. Have you ever voted for a Democrat? I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you okay. sometimes have to do what you have to do. I understand. Because we'll take that as a because, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Don't ever think that every candidate is perfect. Well, They're there, when you become very familiar inside a party, you find out somebody is an alcoholic, a drug mm -hmm. addict, and they get elected. And you think, I'll be damned if I'm going to vote for that person, yeah. and we really don't need them there. And they get elected. Yeah. I mean, it's sad, but that's you know the way it is in in life. Yeah. I mean, the, look, I've. I haven't seen the thing, but there are, you know, people in Congress that domestic violence against a wife or kids, I mean, criminals, felonies, and they still win. You just shake your head. Yeah. So people should get to know their candidates a little more and learn how to vote because the a person elected has a lot of power over your life, whether it's in the state legislature or the federal. We need to be better educated going into an election. Yeah. But anyhow, there you are, guys. There you have it. Thank you so much. I know. Right. Anything you thought we were going to ask you that we didn't? No, you asked a lot. I said a lot. <laughs> okay. You got to say I know a lot. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I've been around. I've been around the block. <laughs>All right, that was my original talk with Marianne Christie, and as I promised, I caught up with Marianne last week over the phone, just so we could catch up on how she's doing, what her thoughts are now about the upcoming election, how she's handling the pandemic. Here's some of that talk now. Hi, Marianne. This is Pete. How are you? Good, Pete. I'm wide awake. Oh, great. So, Ready for you. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today. Okay. So, Marianne, it's just been almost a year since we talked, and I just wanted to catch up, first of all, to find out how you've been doing in the past year, how you've been feeling, and then we'll talk a little bit about the election. Does that sound good? Okay. Well, I've been through a lot. I had a right new replacement. Hi, this is Pete again stepping in. 
When I first interviewed Marianne, she had recently had a knee replacement surgery, and in this follow-up call, she was telling me about some additional complications that she had in the past year, a second replacement she had to have since we first talked, and I don't want to go into the details, but basically she had a really rotten year health-wise, and it was kind of capped off by a very surreal phone call she got from the Ohio State Highway Patrol letting her know her car had been stolen and was currently being pursued in a high-speed chase on the highway. I get a call from the Ohio State Police saying someone has stolen my car and they're chasing it up 71 and they totally destroyed it. So that's been my life. But I loved the virus because it gave me nothing was going on. I had plenty of time to recover. Yeah. Wow. I'm so I'm so sorry to hear that. That's such a crummy... <laughs> Like an adventure. You know, you look at it and say, you know, so if that's your big problem, you know, gotta kneel down and thank God. Yeah. Okay, Pete, so that's where I am. Okay, well, let me. But I'm okay, but I really feel good now because I can't go anywhere. Can't go out of the country. I loved international travel. I couldn't go to any meetings. We had nothing but Zoom meetings at the state level because I'm on the Women's Centennial Commission yeah. and on the State Central Committee. No meetings. Yeah. All year. So I'm okay. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, last time we talked, the Democrats still hadn't nominated anyone. And, and so I was just curious, after they chose Biden, how you were thinking and feeling about that. that we once again, you know, it, you know, somebody much older and then we all have to think, well, what will happen, you know, if they get sick or become incapacitated? That's the trouble with age. You know, you got heart problems, blood pressure, all these little things. And... Uh, it was good for Trump because Trump is younger than Biden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Biden's got a lot of history, and but I'm not necessarily sure that it's been very uh, productive. You know, right? But the conservative, for what the conservatives look at, you know, of less government where he wants ours to put in, you know, more issues, et cetera. Yeah. How do you think the virus is going to impact the election? It's a good question. Because you got, you know, the two, really about two strong groups. One is the business people, you know, who are demanding that, you know, put things back in order. Then you have the opposition of, let's say, you know, the senior citizens. And then, you know, I think the suburban women, because the suburban women generally have, you know, children. And they're very concerned. So... How it uh, all plays out in the end is going to be interesting. I, I don't think anybody understands the direction. I, I look at the you know the scientists, and they're you know they 
they person their knowledge of former, you know, illnesses and viruses, etc., and have been guessworking all along about how to handle this, and that that's why there are changes. And I kept thinking that it would, uh, you know, slow down. The virus would slow down, and instead, we here we now have it, it starting all over again with a, a large number of people being, you know, ill. Yeah. I, so how in the world, you know, are the scientists wrong? Uh, is that the way they've considered? I'm not sure that that total shutdown of all businesses and everything was totally beneficial, you know, for people. Mm-hmm. Did it really slow down the virus? Well, a lot of people get it. Let's say 90%, and most of them don't have a major problem with it. Do you think Do you think that this has become, like, a, the main issue in voters' minds? Yes, because it's really, you know, made a major impact on jobs. Yeah. You know, people can't, if you can't work, what do these people do? The electric, the, the utility companies haven't said you don't have to pay. The banks haven't said, well, you don't have to pay your mortgage. It will start back up again once this virus is gone. Even if they give you, saying, well, you only have to pay a certain amount, but we, this is over. You've got to pay all of that back. How in the world are you going to do it when you're on entry-level salaries? Yeah, yeah. And, and no one's giving, you know, I, I, you know, there's all the arguing over that stimulus package is sad. Yeah. Because that $1,200 would be, is what a lot of people need. I mean, what do you do? You've got car payments, you've got car insurance. You've got house insurance. What do you do with all that? What do you do if you get sick? Yeah. You know, medical costs have gone up. I have a, a, a heart medicine that jumped from May. It was $140 for a three-month supply to September. I paid $283. That's from a Kroger store. Yeah. Then I went and called the... Uh, insurance company and they said no that's what's happened the uh uh the the pharmaceutical firms have raised the price Hmm. you know it's sad when you look at it that way yeah that's a three-month supply a jump of over a hundred percent that's crazy yeah i mean i really I said, something's wrong when I picked up the medicine, and they told me it was a hundred and it was double the yeah. amount. Yeah. Do you think people vote their frustrations? Yes. Yeah. How do you think? Let me well, ask. Because I mean, you know, if you're hurting, you're going to listen to somebody who's saying, you know, this is what I'm going to do to help you. Yeah. 
Well, let me ask you this. What do you, how do you think Ohio's going to vote now that early voting started and the election's a couple weeks away? You know, I've always said you never know what's going to come up till that day of election. That's why I chose to wait till the day of election to cast my vote. I want to see what transpires and happens. Yeah. But it's hard to make a decision at this point. There's so much controversy. And I don't know. Do you believe, the, uh, totally believe the polls? I mean, they're showing it's a toss-up, and yet Trump won Ohio by yeah, almost, I think, eight or nine uh, points. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, but with, you know, what will happen between, we still have three weeks. The election isn't tomorrow. Right. It's funny. I mean, I can remember when the old George Bush ran in January, he had 80% of uh, uh, approval rating. In November, he lost the election. Yeah. So you look at, it's hard. You know, all these different groups and the ones that are really vocal. The thing I like is, there's a large group that is silent. Yeah. And you're, you're saying, what will that silent group, you know, how will they vote in the end? I, I, it amazes me that people go and vote and, you know, stand in line now for an hour. Yeah. I mean, you've got a whole month to vote. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, why do you, I think, why do you need drop boxes? You get a, a, an absentee ballot, fill it in, mail it. There's post offices all over. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the trouble with drop boxes, is you have to worry, is if there aren't cameras focused on it, will somebody pour something down into that drop box and destroy that those votes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe you can just put them in libraries, but that then says only, you know, libraries are only while they're open. Right. But you could probably put up a camera yeah. to have people. But that's a big worry. They're yeah. crazies in this world, and they would pour something down there. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Wow. I know. I hadn't either till somebody brought it up, and I thought, God... You know why uh, people do crazy things? Yeah. Well, is there anything else that uh, you're thinking about the election that I haven't asked about? No, Pete. I think it's it, it's so controversial. Yeah. I I really enjoyed the debates last night. I thought each one. You know, some people complain saying, "Oh, they were hard on Trump." You know what? Trump is a master. I love it when they give him the hard questions because he handles them so well. Don't treat him like a baby. He's he's strong. He he is capable of handling any question. And uh, and I thought Biden did well. You know, it was nice to be able to hear them talk about their policies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, without that first one, all that arguing was 
Italy was sad. So this, I thought, was very good. I think a journalist's job is to ask the hard questions. You're not there to, you know, baby them. You're there to have them answer those hard questions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's it, Pete. All right, that sounds great. Thanks again, Marianne. I'll send you a link when the podcast comes out. Okay. Okay. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to be podcast. I'm going to. I, I didn't podcast most of this year. I didn't podcast at all this year, except once with the Secretary of State Frank yeah. LaRose back yeah. in August. Yeah, yeah. It's been a it's been a tough run all around. I'll tell you. I mean, all everybody talked about was for the virus. So this was, you know, it was good. Yeah. That's why I say we all had a chance to go home and do things and reflect upon life a little more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Marianne. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your health. I hope you like your new car. I do like my new car. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Take care. Okay. Thanks, Pete. Bye-bye. Again, my most sincere thanks to Marianne Christie. Her podcast, again, is called High Heels in Politics, and it is available wherever you get your podcasts. Do check it out. And we at This Is Ohio 2020 will be back with you in just a few days with another episode. I hope you're enjoying the show. This Is Ohio 2020 is a podcast and documentary film project produced by Blue Monkey Communications, written and directed by me, Pete Brown with production and post-production ably handled by Kevin Davison of Twittering Machine Productions. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend or two about us, post about us on social media, or head to thisisohio2020.com and click Feedback, where you can record a voicemail that comes right to us. Music and sound effects in today's show may come from the websites freesound.org, incompetech.com, or podcastmusic.com, and in general is licensed under Creative Commons 3.0. Additional music and interstitials by Brian Hake and Kevin Davison. Until next time, I'm Pete Brown for This Is Ohio 2020, wishing you and yours good times.